From Mississippi State University in Starkville, Mississippi, this is Taking the Reins Podcast. If you love all things horses, get ready for a relatable and educational look into the lives of horses and the people who love them. Now here's our host, Clay Cavender. Welcome back again to Taking the Reins, and I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode because I got a great opportunity recently to sit down with a good friend of mine, Joel McQuaig of the University of Florida. Joel and I both share a lot of interest, both as professionals and outside in our hobbies, Uh, but one thing that we do have in common is horses. He does basically one of the very same things I do here at Mississippi State at University of Florida in which he holds a sales and marketing course and uh, teaches students how to sell and market horses. But today we got a chance to sit down and discuss candidly kind of the pros and cons of the way we run our programs and give you some insight on some do's and don'ts and things that worked for us, things that haven't worked for us in the area of sales and marketing of equine. So here's my conversation with Joel McQuaig. It's like trying to explain to somebody how to train horses. You can talk about it all day long. Until you do it. All right, we're talking about marketing and sales today. And the reason that I wanted you in particular to be on this with me is because we've both, uh, you're ahead of me in this game, but we've both tried to figure out ways monetarily to help our programs, to help our kids learn more about marketing and sales. And I think probably the biggest value in what um, we have in common is it way up on that list is the importance of connection to the industry i think and and you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think that that's extremely important is to have that visibility to the industry and so i see that with the university of florida that's exactly what we've tried to do the last five six seven eight years at mississippi state and so those things are our common uh, goals i think but i'll let you speak for yourself here in a second but uh, as far as you've been there 27 years. 27 years. God, I'm old. We're getting older every day. <laughs> how was it? How has it all evolved? What was it when it's, when you got there? Have you so changed it? So I would tell you, 27 years ago, um, when I got there, I think there were 10 mares at the horse teaching unit. There were probably 30 some odd mares at the Equine Sciences <laughs> Center. The horse teaching unit. There wasn't a quarter horse mare there. There were some standard bred, saddlebreds, Arabs and maybe a thoroughbred and then quarter horse stallion oddly enough and so um down at the horse research center in ocala uh when i was first hired i was hired um basically to develop the horse teaching unit develop an equine program teach classes develop some classes that weren't currently being taught and then and then obviously teach those classes but also to try to have a hand in in developing a horse herd that would be everything that you said that would allow us to teach with um, certainly achieve that mission, uh, better interact with the industry, try to turn out students that were more ready to go to work um, either in management in the horse industry or in the allied industries to have a better understanding of what goes into into training, uh, development, training, breeding, marketing, the whole nine yards. Um, and so we've developed a curriculum that kind of feeds into that where students have a hand in every aspect from breeding all the way through sales. Uh, in a variety of different classes. But again, you know, I walked into my department chair's office and said, um, we probably need to sell everything at the horse teaching unit. And he goes, do what you want to do. And so we did. And then at the Equine Sciences Center, we had some quarter horses that were um, a variety of different things and some thoroughbreds. And uh, 
they were primarily at that time down there used for nutritional research and some reproductive research. And um, had some discussions with some faculty members about, in my opinion, it was a whole lot more fun to do teaching research and extension with really good horses rather than just horses. And, and so that didn't go off as, as, as well as it might have uh, early on, but, but over time um, we've kind of developed that mindset. And then after uh, a few short years, I was uh, given the opportunity to, to be faculty, to have faculty oversight of the Equine Sciences Center. And so we started selecting horses basically that were modern, um, good pedigrees, had marketability to them, and, and were just, you know, a better quality kind of horse to give our students again that opportunity to work with with good ones. It's way more fun to it's way more fun to ride a good one than it is to to not ride a good one. So, and it takes just as much input cost uh, to well, raise a bad yeah. one as it does a good one. And um, yeah, I see a lot of similarities in what you're trying to do, and I think that's why we've always we've made a lot of connection as friends on many levels. But one of them has been that goal of trying to. And I, I want to uh, have respect to the industry. Hundred percent. Yeah, I want those guys to think that we're doing the right things. We're in touch. We're not right. out of touch. That's important. So obviously genetics, Joel, is an important key to aspect of breeding programs. But um, what would you say that are, are – what is your basic strategy for that? So, you know, as we evolved into a straight quarter horse broodmare herd um, – you know, we have kind of gone. My number that I look for at, across the broodmare herd is I look for 40% of our broodmare herd, if you're talking genetics and disciplines, and, and we might as well start there. 40% of our horse herd, uh, our mare herd, is going to produce what I would call ranch oriented horses. So that could be rainers, cutters, cow horses, rope horses. 40% uh, of them are Western pleasure producing mares. And then the other 20% uh, fall in the hunter jumper mark, you know, market. Um, and that, that's kind of worked well for us. Uh, we were blessed uh, early on to have some, some really, really nice pleasure horse mares donated to us, and that kind of gave us a, a good place to start with that group. And then, and then as time has evolved on, on the ranch horse end of things, um, we've, we've had some nice mares donated there too. And then, and then we also look for opportunities to retain really good fillies too. So if, if they've got a good pedigree and, and they ride well, um, we might put them back in the broodmare herd. Uh, every couple of years, we'll hold back a filly or two, too. But again, modern pedigrees, you know, what the industry wants. Um, and, and I would tell you, again, across disciplines, you can kind of kind of pay attention to what's what's winning at the horse shows and kind of look for industry trends and, and try to fill those niches, if you will. You know, we're selling well-started two-year-olds is how I kind of like to, 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 to phrase them. And so... We want them to be well started. We want them to, to be trainable. We want them to have good mindsets. And we can talk a long time about how you develop that. But at the end of the day, we also want them to have modern pedigrees that that other trainers and other other riders, exhibitors, horse owners want. They want they want the the, the recognition of those of those good pedigrees. I believe, um, and I think that's become more and more important over the last 10 to 15 years, maybe, uh, in all aspects of the horse market. Why do you think that, so this is where I wouldn't say we disagree, maybe we have a little bit of a divergence of opinion, but uh, we've talked a lot about this privately, you and I, as I've gone the two-year-old route, mm -hmm. U of F stayed the two-year-old route, I switched to the yearling route. What, what, do you, what is your 
what do you think is the reason, main reason or main difference between trying to market and sell the yearlings versus two-year-olds or older horses even? So the problem with the older horses, we had some warm bloods early on, uh, and, and their best market potential was at, at four or five. And, you know, at the end of the day, you've kind of got to look at your bottom line too, and, and keeping a horse for us that long it had to be an exceptional horse to have some some significant market value and then it had to bring a lot and so we decided to to um, choose a market that would that would best benefit us um, you know the thing i like about the two-year-old classes is we'll take you know this this coming fall i'll have 16 horse kids in that two-year-old class and it gives them now you've got to have the right kids too these kids have to try out to be in the class and so they have significant previous horse experience they've all ridden a lot some of them have trained some some of them have shown at a high level some of them came up in the ranching world um, you know they're either horse show kids or they're kids that grew up on the ranch as a general rule but they're but they're they've got a, a nice set of, of, of skills with which to start with and so our two semester long horse psychology and training class I guess is what you'd call it it's 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 a, a Monday Wednesday Friday in the fall and a Monday Tuesday Thursday Friday two-hour blocks in the afternoon in the spring gives those students a unique opportunity to to try to do I guess what I would term is the right thing you know and the right thing for a big hunter jumper might be different from the right thing from a 14 one-hand cutting prospect but whatever the right thing is for that horse we spend a long time talking about how do we help horses learn how do we put horses in a learning mindset how do we get them started so that our college students stay safe uh, and don't spend a lot of time on the dirt um, and then how do we create well-mannered marketable offspring that that are ready to go on to a trainer uh, these kids aren't aren't trying to get them ready to go to a futurity or anything like that but they're trying to get them where they're where they're ready to go to that next level ready to go into that next set of training and they've got a good mindset they've not had their faces pulled off they've not been beat up they've been handled in a nice manner and they're and they're I guess kind willing two-year-olds is the way I'd like to phrase it and if we get that horse that, that's a challenge or a problem for whatever reason if he's a has a training challenge and he's just I'm just not comfortable selling him as a two-year-old then we find another market outlet for that but but fortunately those have become fewer and fewer uh, further between and I think you know I attribute that to better quality genetics but I also tell you I contribute it to the fact that we start handling them at a pretty young age and so these horses have been by the time I get them as fall yearlings um, with a colt starting class they've already been handled quite a bit as weanlings um, by another faculty member and they're kind of ready to go so they've had a, a good start they've had a good a good baby handling portion they've had a good weanling handling class they've spent some time out eating grass um, when they're early yearlings and then I get them fall their yearling year and they're kind of ready to go um, we have a little different challenge so we're trying to meet I'm, and I say we as a uh, the academic horse program side versus uh, the industry breeder yep. or the guy out there trying to make somewhat of a living from doing something like this or, or establishing himself as a breeding a breeder um, and that is what you just said we're trying to educate students in a way that they probably have never had the opportunity before right plus Agreed plus put out good horses right uh so what do you think what, what if there's someone listening today that's considering doing their own program and they're not a student would you what's the pros and cons of yearlings versus two-year-olds versus three-year-olds or so um you know for us it's either going to be a yearling or a two-year-old thing and i would tell you that in most years you know when, it, it, when a year is ideal we'll have a western pleasure prospect or two 
that have a, a future as a lunge liner or that a trainer finds very attractive as a yearling and we'll offer two to three yearlings in our sales. That's kind of the goal is to be able to offer 16 to 18 well-started two-year-olds and then two to three yearlings that, that fit that more that Western pleasure market than anything else um, that, that trainers want to get at that early age and, and get ready to, to go their own way. So I think that there's a really good market for that in certain parts of the show horse industry. We have found a good market for our two-year-olds from the standpoint that uh, we're very transparent about what we do with them and we're very open about people coming by so we have our sale at the end of april but but starting in march someone can come by as many class periods as they want to and watch these kids ride these horses and we tell our kids to be brutally honest with them you know tell them what you like tell them what you don't like tell them what the challenges have been tell them what you're really proud of um, tell them what your horse is going to be good at in your mind and 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 let them just watch you i think that there is a nice market for well-started two-year-olds where people can go and feel very confident about what they're buying. And, you know, I'm 61 years old. I bought a pile of yearlings and young horses from sales throughout my life all over the place. And, you know, I always felt like it was buyer beware. You know, you never knew exactly what you were getting at those horse sales. And I feel like we've tried to develop an opportunity for, stu for, for buyers to come in and feel very comfortable about what they're buying. You know, we're going to be brutally honest with him. If the horse has got a hole in him or a problem with him or he's not training well, we probably won't put him in the sale. But if he's had some challenges along the way, uh, we're open and honest about those challenges as well because I want people to, to feel good about their purchase. And I think that's been a good thing for us from the standpoint that we've had a number of, of everything from professional trainers to, to ranch folks that have been repeat buyers for us because they felt pretty good about what they were buying. So I think there's a good two-year-old market. So for us, I mean, our first goal is obviously to, to, to teach students with them. I mean, that's the be-all and end-all. That's why we exist. But, but turning out a marketable product that people want and can feel good about, about taking home, I think that that's, and, and again, has a modern pedigree to it and has a good future to it. Um, I think that there's a there's a good thing being done there too. Well, let, let's be straight here. The, every industry, whether you're breeding dogs or selling cars or horses, there's an entity that uh, will leave a bad taste in your mouth. Yep. And I would, that's my opinion about all of what you just said. The very key of this in the from the foundation up is whether you're in this industry for six months or 60 years, your reputation will precede you. 100%. So you better you better be straightforward as much as possible, right? I mean, there's some things you just don't know sometimes, especially when you're selling yearlings and two-year-olds. You just don't know. But uh, that is one thing I think people try to maybe pull the wool over somebody's eyes and get caught pretty quick. Yep. So I think the honesty is probably the first value there. Uh, you mentioned, you know, this percentage, and I don't remember what your numbers were, but 40% of this and 40% mm -hmm. that. And what is, what's the hot thing right now? So... Uh, you know, I guess I can define hot thing by what has brought the most money in our sales. I would say two years ago, our high seller, uh, our two high sellers were Western Pleasure Prospects. This year, our two high sellers were Ranch Horse Prospects. And so, if they're really good Western Pleasure horses, there's a there's a there's a nice home for them, and there and there's a ready market for them. But but man, you can't ignore what's going on in the Ranch Horse world. You know, the versatility ranch interest roping futurities, all these kinds of things, uh, it, the incentives that are that are out there for trainers and, and, and competitors are, are, are a big deal, and the ranch horse industry has just grown. Uh, and and I, again, I lump into that reigning cow horse cutting. Um, 
rope horse prospects. That's all of those things have been good to us as far as growth industries, and there's just a lot of interest in that. Um, I think it's a lot of stock market. Like diversity is a good thing. Yeah. You know, like having having a little bit of a big pie, so to speak. And so having some all around horses, having some. That's the same way I am too. I, I'm not a hunt seat guy, but I want a hunt seat horse or two just to to dabble in that industry a little bit. And, and I think it it helps with education for ourselves as well as our students. But yeah, I think the versatility ranch horse stuff's hot. I tell you what else I I don't know much about yet, but I think is neat and inquisitive for me is the speed event stuff we've seen so much of the there's so many of the cow cutter cow horse bred type stallions that are crossing on for like a better term running bred stuff you know what i mean and so you're seeing some of that market too so i agree with that as far as having some diversity in that i'll I'll speak that just a tiny bit um i would tell you that that wasn't up until two or three years ago that wasn't much of a market for us but 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 we have bred to a couple of those uh, of those running-oriented horses to try to make big head horse prospects because, again, team roping has been a big deal and is a ready market. Um, but the barrel racers have fallen into that, too. And so, you know, you look again at the, at the incentives that are being paid out there for some of these horses that are that are enrolled properly, and, and we have paid a lot of attention to that and are trying to do well, that. Well, it's, right? it's where the money's at, right? A ton yeah. of money. The NBHA yeah. stuff is huge. And, like, of course, I'm like you. I don't think either of us have a personal interest in the speed event world, but, heck, I like, I like making money, and so I want to think about that. You know, right. it's something to think about. Uh, and that's evolved, like, what? five ten years ago yep. everything was big tall lanky long thoroughbred type stuff and now it's getting to be these more cutter oriented type of breedings for speed event horses which is neat to see the evolution of that here's a question for you that we've talked a lot about you and i uh we had a big learning curve like most of most of the horse industry and this online stuff that came along covid moved us to online so what's your take on online stuff so we um we started 25 years ago doing seal bid sales and you know it was probably where we needed to be we didn't have enough horses to to have a to have a decent sale um and i don't think we had a quality level of horse at that time to be able to attract a crowd and so it took a while before uh sandra would tell you i went kicking and screaming to uh to a live auction because i'd watched so many horse sales fail in florida um and just not get anything done and so it took a while before we finally got to the level that we felt like we could hold a live auction and it worked well for us we had we had uh several years of very what i would term very successful sales at the time and we drew enough of a crowd i always again i didn't think we would have enough of a crowd to sell 17 or 18 head of horses um but we did okay with it uh but then as you mentioned COVID hit and so we had the opportunity to to do our sale online and uh I remember sitting in the room as those as those as, as that sale closed out uh, a week ahead of time. I guess I would let me rephrase that. A week ahead of time, again, I was nervous as a cat um, because I really didn't think people would find the horses. You just never know. And also, we didn't know what to expect from COVID. We didn't know what the horse market was going to be like. But it was a really good sale for us. Really good sale. And one of the things that we discovered online is that people could still come in and look at the horses if they desired. We have people that'll that'll drive in, fly in, do whatever to look at our horses before a sale. But then they could be in the comfort of their home in Cave Creek, Arizona, or New York, or wherever, um, and bid and feel good about what they were doing, and then make transportation arrangements for their horse to get to them. And so it broadened our horse market 
tremendously. Uh, and I didn't see that coming, but it was good for us. Um, and it's continued to be good for us. You know, we we're in a situation we sell our we sell our bulls the same way we sell a group of purebred Brahmin bulls around the same time as the horse sale. We do it all online, but the horse sale, the online market has been has been really really good to us. Yeah, I think it, it, I was like you. I didn't want to do it. Yeah. And there's good and bad to everything. I think there's some not good things, but I think for the pros out outweigh the cons because, like you said, the marketability, you're getting the the public eye gets onto your program outside the borders of your state which is a good thing for sure the con to it you know from my my i guess my personal perspective is that we've got a class called horse enterprise management that helps a lot with the marketing and the sale for us and so being able to put on that live auction where you bring in an auctioneer mm -hmm. and you have ring stewards and you set up the sale day and you have you know steak dinner the night yeah, before you have, you have the, you have the that whole nine yards and meeting yeah, yeah all those kinds of things i thought there was a lot of value there for our students and there is value there um and I, so i missed that aspect of it but from a dollars and cents standpoint um i can't argue with the success well that's the thing is you know especially when you're answering to someone above you and they want to know what the bottom dollar is right. and you're bringing in more money than that that's that's than you were before that's always a positive for sure I, and i'm like you i like we did that at texas a&m too we had a in-person thing and it was who doesn't like the hoopla of a live sale right you know and it just brings that different avenue meet and greet shake well, hands I, with some hopefully some people are going to invest in your program down the line and i think students today uh fewer and fewer of them have been to an auction you know they they haven't right. seen that and so it's it's brand new for them and so i did like the idea of exposing them to to, to hosting our own auction um again being comfortable with an auctioneer we still bring in an auctioneer that, that that talks about what he does but instead of actually selling the sale uh with his voice now he also manages their online auction company he and his wife so they get the interact still with the with some of the same things they just don't get that sale day atmosphere yeah one of the things i love about the online part of it is that like you said it opens up the market so instead of hoping you know it seems like an online or a live auction in the past you would have maybe your you know your high your top five high-end horses in right your buyers were there for those and maybe your moderate marketability horses would get they had interest but it was one maybe two yep and then you weren't selling those horses for what they right. were valued at you know you're getting a bargain there so there's good and bad to both you like i we work a lot with industry and in trying to get our stallions marketed mm -hmm. you know from 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 the industry i think both you start looking at all the stallions that you use the stallions that we've um uh, been able to use we get we've gotten all ours donated mm -hmm. which is it it's i wouldn't say easy from the stallion perspective it's about connection you i think you have to develop a relationship with people and then they're you know then they have a nice diet and they're willing to invest in your program and it's not a huge risky thing for them because how stallions are physiologically made right so but the mare size is difficult what's been your approach to the mare side as far as today like if you go to the nrha or ncha fraternity sales you better have a darn good mare and the right stallion to get into that seventy-five hundred thousand dollar kind of horse, you know, or well, greater. You, you touch on a good thing, and so I think if you're going to call someone or visit with someone and ask them for a donated stallion service to your program, you need to have a good mare. And so, you know, that was a holdup for us some years ago when we just didn't have the mare quality that I felt like we needed to have. 
And as our program has evolved and we've added better mares to it, it, it's much easier to call a stallion donor and say, hey, I've got this mare such and such, if they have if they're at least either familiar with the mare or they know what her pedigree is. You know, if she's produced a world champion, it, it's, it's, it's a whole lot easier to ask easier. for. Easier when you got prissy legs, right? When you got prissy legs, man, it's, good it's shape. oh my gosh, you know, I wish I had a barn full of them, we all do. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you get, when, you get, when, you're, when you're blessed to have a, a really nice mare or, or some really nice mares and you call people, it's much easier for them to say yes. They want to know that, they want to know that the progeny that are produced from that mating are going to have an opportunity to go you know, to go out and do something, preferably. You know, and and yeah, we have we we will have a horse that brings a lot of money that will go to the ranch and never see the show pen, but uh, we also you know there's a reasonable opportunity to expect that a that a well-bred horse that's uh, that's that's turned into a nice vigil individual will have an opportunity to go show somewhere and the stallion the stallion owners want to know that too. Well, and and that's kind of what I was saying. It's so easy to find the stallions because. Owners don't have to depart with them for one. Right. Uh, their genetics is every day re reproducing, where the mare is a limited pool. Um, so, have, have you felt any strategy or perspective on how you get some of those female genetics into your herd? Because really, what we do, uh, you've you got to have a show record. You've got to be what we call proven as far as can you do the job? Can the mare go out, or can she produce offspring that are winning? And so yeah, I think that's a hard one there. It's a tough deal um, to get those mares because, you know, I guess I, I look at, I look at it a couple of different ways. In the in the Western pleasure world, because of the nature of that industry and uh, the people that, that that sometimes buy and sell those horses, we've been very 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 blessed to have some nice mares donated to us that have shown, and then somebody's gone a different direction with with their. With, with their interest or, or their interest in showing. And so they've been able to, to, to donate that mare to us and, and we've been able to add her to the program. That's a big deal. That's mm -hmm. a great thing. In the ranch horse world, it's a little tougher thing. Um, particularly if a ranch horse is coming from a ranch because oftentimes, you know, they may not breed a mare for a few years and then decide to donate her. They'll breed a mare till she's no longer productive. And so we've had to look for opportunities. When we get a good mating, we get a mating to a to a really nice stallion that's out of a really nice mare in our herd, um, and that produces a nice filly, and she rides well. Uh, we certainly may sell her, um, but we've added to our mare herd that way too. And so yeah, then we've got a horse that doesn't have a show pedigree, and certainly I wish she did. But if she's got great genetics, uh, when we breed her to again to a to a, a nice stallion, then she has the capability to be able to produce something, and hopefully she does. And usually it works out that way. Now, it might take her a year or two to produce something that, that, that goes out and wins, but uh, that's worked for us in that, in that segment. It's, we, don't have, we haven't had it as much luck uh, getting the really nice mares donated along that line. It's just because it's a, it's a different business. It's a different industry. Yeah, a people different are using mindset. them. They use them. Yeah, they want to keep them, right? Yeah. We've had some luck with like problematic mares that are yep. having reproductive yep, yep, yep. issues, you know, especially with you know, like Florida. We have a vet school available, yep. so we have some of that capability too. What do you think about some of those? Are you, are you guys using anything like frozen embryos? Do you get a chance to use any advanced technology like ICSI or anything like that? Or is that just kind of – to me, I think that's those things have priced the small, moderate, medium, middle-range guy out because – of what it costs to sure. use that stuff. So we've there are, we've got two mares in our program now that, that we will we will uh, flush um, embryos from, and we've had some success with 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 some freezing as well. 
we've got a researcher who's doing a lot of work now on ICSI, and so we'll see where we go with that. But you know, as advanced as far as advanced technologies, you know, I guess the only thing that we've really taken advantage of again is those those higher end mares. Again, it's only a couple mares for us yeah. uh, that, that we've looked at flushing and, and have had success with. Let's switch gears just a tick. So part of this whole thing is we've been talking about people who want to sell horses. They got to consider genetics. They got to mm -hmm. consider disposition. They got to consider athletic potential. All that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to selling, um, how do you approach things like? video creation, uh, use of uh, social media, pictures, all that kind of stuff. How has your group approached that? So I, I tell you, we probably advertise almost exclusively on Facebook, um, you know, or, or online. You know, obviously we have a, an online auction portal that those horses get loaded to. We have stills, we have videos. And I would, I would tell you we could do a better job of that. Um, you know, you, if you're going to have a, let's say our, our sale is April the 27th, for example, you're still looking at a, a, a green two-year-old. And even though we live in Florida, some of them have got some hair coat, we're trying to get rubbed out on them in, in February or March. And so we're trying to time everything such that the horse looks his best from a hair coat standpoint, but that his training is where it needs to be too. If you've got a horse that's, a, that's, that's taken a little bit longer for whatever reason, maybe it's a horse-kid combination. Well, it is a horse-kid combination. I'll, I'll be blunt with you there. You know, it's, it's a little harder than if you or I were riding all these two-year-olds. Because if I've got 16 to 18 kids in a class, they have a variety of different experiences and they've got a variety of different horses. And so- You're really training two things. You're training two, 100%. Yeah. It's, 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 it makes it a little crazy on me because you're constantly reading what's going on with that, with that college student and horse interaction and trying to, to look for their best opportunities to be successful. So they're all in a little, little different place. And so to come back to your, to your, to your question, it'd be wonderful if we could have pictures or videos shot in February or March. Well, we'll get them shot in March, but it'd be nice if we could have them in February and upload it. But I should, I should ask, your sale's in May, right? Uh, end of April. A, end of April. Ours is in November. Yeah. So, yeah, we face the same – that is a huge consideration because we really start to get really aggressive with um, how we're getting prepared in August. And like you said, they're coming They're coming out of a season when they're short hair coat and they're pretty fat and – look good you know yep. and then they're going into a season where you got to put more effort into getting them in a good hair coat and slick and looking good and maintaining all that so pictures is definitely a strategic approach it is um, and and like i said you know for us it's it's two main classes that are that are interacting there we've got the horse psychology and training class that's responsible for all the training on these young horses but then we've got this horse enterprise management class that's really running the sale and so those two teams if you will have got to work well together um, sometimes they do and sometimes they could we, we could probably do a little better job at, at, at some of the things that we do and so we've tried to to begin to look at scheduling timelines a little better and and holding our holding ourselves accountable to getting those things done uh, it works but but it's still a work in progress one thing I mean even kind of where I was going with the picture thing I I have struggled with that. I've talked to a lot of people who do this to the highest degree in our industry and like, okay, should we square these things at stock type horses? Should we have them squared up side view? Should we have them open stance? What Should we have a completely black solid background? Should we have a natural background? But there's so much thought, I think, if, if you're trying to do it right, you're, go, you're thinking about it. And so we, you know, I totally think that now the industry especially online expects front view hind view feet they want to see everything 
but that so my dad always said this it never left me it's a probably one of the rules i use in my head constantly when i'm judging is he'd always say i didn't understand as a kid but he'd always say clay every good horse has a good profile mm-hmm. and funny i was saying that just this i was picking out horses for where joel and i at the southern regionals i uh, work in a horse show and so i was putting horses together this morning for the judging contest and i could walk the barns and uh there's a few times you just walk by a stall and a horse will just stop you and it was that attraction of the profile and i think sales pictures are that same thing so you better have a darn good profile picture 100 that catches the viewer quick and and that's that's a task um because we don't use a professional photographer we have used in-house photography from the university of florida and 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 some of our own crew uh and it works for us and we've gotten good pictures but it takes a while and so in the past through this year you know we've got a spot on a lake that we like to take pictures for it's a beautiful backdrop Mm -hmm. and they'll they'll be able to take two or three pictures two or three horses they'll get two or three horses done every thursday and i'm like oh my gosh can't we get more horses done well the sun's not right or the weather's not right or or the mower's going to be here on friday or there's this or there's that or the other and and i'm almost to the point now where you know you talk about backdrops i I, i've begun to wonder if maybe we don't do a backdrop and and shoot them in a barn and uh try to get more horses done on the same day because it seems like it drags us out forever uh, and i just have to walk away and let my guys let my guys take those pictures yeah it is a <laughs> you are absolutely it's totally frustrating yeah, so it's crazy you know because that's that's something i emphasize a ton is we can't just have fun with them grooming them and right. lunging them and getting a saddle on we got to spend 10 minutes a day or more squaring them up squaring them up yeah making them stand there no matter what they got to stand still so that when the video or the photographer comes we can get seven or eight done in a couple hours because yeah, it, it takes a long time so i would really fair. emphasize so one of the things i do like solo select is a great uh, online has a ton of horses you know and, and different entities will have that but if you scroll through there you'll see some really good ways to do things and some really not right and so uh, i've always tried to really maintain that we we got to make them stand up they got to be square so much goes into this it's not just pedigree pedigree is a huge part of it but feeding program hair coat way they're standing even our videos we you know we had to put videos out now on, on the online stuff everybody wants to see a move we've gone to a script we've gone to a script because there's so many different ways to do it right so to try to create some uniformity we've gone to a script i want to see on end of a lunch because we're selling yearlings so i want to see on the end of a lunge line i want to see 10 seconds at the jog to the right 10 seconds at the you know we're but that's the other thing too is how many people will watch a five minute video now not many. I think. I think if if they're not going to come look, they probably watch every bit of it. But if they're going to come look, you know, they're going to they're going to look as, as you said for that horse that catches their eye or the thing that they're interested in, or they they've pulled up the pedigree and they thought this horse has a nice pedigree. Um, let's see what he looks like, and then they'll watch that video enough to kind of get hooked, and then they'll want to come. They'll want to come maybe see him in person. But that is a challenge. Um, you know, and in our instance, the same thing. We haven't done. A great job of going to a script and and you and i talked about that last year and and that's probably something we'll look at for the future um you know i don't know i i think we could spend we could spend a little time doing a better job of that probably in our in our own house Uh, i think it's to me it's like anything else if you're going to buy a car from somebody or you're spending money you want them to be professional too and so even even the students like as part of the script 
if, if you go out to sell your horse and you're going to put them on in the lunge line so that people can see them move, and you got your ball cap on backwards and wearing flip-flops and shorts, <laughs> you, you aren't being marketed directly, but you are indirectly. Absolutely. So all, the whole package goes together. So that's something that we've tried to really approach. Is, and that's part of teaching students too, isn't it? Sure. So, yeah, I think there's so much strategy to this. And it, we've talked a ton about this the last five, six, seven years, and uh, I'm still learning, like, still trying to ask questions and figure out. We've changed, this sounds so tedious, but we changed the background on our side view profile pictures. We used to black it all out because my idea was the thought that the, pop, the horse would pop. Right. And uh, the first year, what, I didn't hear nothing. The second year is like, I'd get these comments like, we want to see a natural background. Right. Okay, then I put a natural background there. Well, that's hard to see because of the blue sky in the background. Can you put a dark background? So I know, I wonder sometimes where do we go? What's the right thing? I don't know if maybe there's not a right thing. Yeah, I don't know. I, like I said, we've, we've, we've shot all our shots for the past 10 years on an actual background in one particular spot. It's beautiful. When the sun's right and the sun's coming up, it's facing towards, you know, the sun's coming up over your shoulder. It's showing on the horse. It's a gorgeous backdrop. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. lake. Uh, unless it's raining. Or unless it's cloudy, or unless the mower's there that day, or unless the grass hasn't been mowed, uh, and and we probably need to rethink some of the things we do so that we're able to get more horses taken uh, in a week. It's 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 a frustrator. It's, it's definitely tough to do, but yeah, I I want to bring the most. I want my product to bring the most value. You bet. And if it sure. if that means that you think. We have the perfect backdrop. We've got the perfect profile pictures. We got the perfect, perfectly dressed, professionally looking person. And whatever it takes, I want to make sure that's correct. But I, I do know that you have to think that way. You can't just go. What's the matter? What I wear? The horse is the one being sold. Right. And it's not quite. You're being yep, sold agree. too. You know, you're, you're marketing your program. You were definitely marketing your program. What do you think your students get out of that? So at the end of the end of the semester, students are also obviously getting the horse handling experience, that kind of thing. And I'm sure you have a lot like us that we have a ton of pre-vet majors that want that uh, contact. But what are some of the other objectives? Is there anything else in your mind? Is that your goal for your students each semester? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, and I guess I'll start back in the training aspect of it. One of the things that we try to do um, is give the students the opportunity to do everything right. There's no timeline, I say. Um, obviously, there is some level of a timeline, but there's not much of a timeline. And we try not to let time guide what we do. You know, we're, we're those, those kids are with those horses two hours every afternoon, three days a week in the fall, and four days a week in the spring. So they've got plenty of opportunity to, to work with their horses. But I want them to have a, a, a positive training experience. And then the other thing that we do is we talk a lot. We lecture uh, every Monday um, for half the class period. And, and I say lecture, it could be demonstration, um, one or the other. And we talk about everything in the horse world. We talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. We talk about the way that, that maybe they've seen colts started in the past. Um, we talk about all the, all the different ways that you could, that you could skin this cat so to speak that you could that you could start a young horse and again the good the bad and the ugly you know why why do people do some of the things that they do why do we do some of the things that we do and we will you know we'll show a few different ways to do some of the things and so i think that learning opportunity whether they're a hunter jumper rider that's ridden you know all over the u.s or a or a kid that grew up on a ranch in okeechobee i think that there's a, a unique opportunity to get to do some of that the right way and i think they get a lot out of that the other thing that's interesting that I didn't appreciate as much as I, I do now is 
you know, coal starting, it's kind of gotten to the point where I recognize now it's as much about the kid as it is about the horse. And so for some of the students, um, it might be about learning to control their emotions and learning to focus. Mm -hmm. And I preach this to them all the time. I said, it doesn't matter how bad of a day I've had. When I walk in the barn, when I walk in a stall, when I walk in a round pen, when I step on a horse, I leave everything that's going on in my life in the truck or, or outside of that barn. I totally control my emotions because if my mind is not on my horse, um, I won't get the maximum opportunity to get something done with my horse and for a young person that's incredibly hard to do because they're they're stressed about everything from boyfriends girlfriends finals you name it they 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 have stuff they worry about their job whatever i don't know and teaching them to laser focus on the task at hand and then totally control their emotions meaning to not not lose their temper when things don't go their way uh and and learn that whole gentle uh you know gentlest possible firmest necessary mantra um, I think that that's a big deal for those students. And so, you know, I think at the end of the semester, most kids would tell you it's been as much about them as it is about their horse. You know, they, they, that's been a cool aspect of it. The other thing that's interesting that it's kind of worked into is, and I'll use last year as an example, I had uh, one or two barrel racers. I had some high level show kids that had ridden uh, big warm bloods over fences in Europe. I had some, you know, a couple of pleasure kids and then everything in between. and. Curiously enough, they became a family by the end, and they still got each other on this on this uh, on this text link, and they talk all the time, and they go out to eat, and they visit together, and they are some of those kids are just as opposite as people could be, uh, and yet they've kind of bonded into a family, and so that's been kind of a cool aspect of the class that I that I didn't truly appreciate early, early on, and I think again it's because we spend quite a bit of time talking about you know how do you. How do you give your horse every opportunity to be successful? And if you're not in the right frame of mind, then your horse doesn't get that. And so that leads itself to them being able to help each other in a round pen, help each other in early rides, those kinds of things. When you've got 18 horses that are trying to get into six round pens to get their first rides or to get their first saddlings, um, I'll usually have two teaching assistants, but there are opportunities for those kids to help each other too and to look out for each other. Uh, and it's not just a cookie cutter uh -uh. approach, right? So I've 100%. Seen I tell you, that's funny you say that because like the, you can have what you deem more. I, I, let's say advanced kids, like you just see that they got more feel. Or maybe maybe people are talking to they feel comfortable riding horses, and then what what worked for this horse does not work for that horse. Absolutely, the next one, you know, you've got to completely figure out a different approach to get your point across. Uh, that's been a huge, especially when you're talking about trying to manage let's just say for easy numbers 10 horses 10 kids you got 20 people you're trying to direct it's, it's it's definitely challenging but the consistency over time i think would be my biggest input for someone listening thinking they're wanting to start marketing young horses or, or any horses you have to have that consistency you've got to have a consistent schedule of what you're going to do in the approach right. and then do it with with young riders novice to new riders they they can be off an inch and think, well, I'm doing everything, the video, the professional, the person, the instructor, whoever told me to do, and the point's not getting across. It's because you're missing the window or you're missing the spot, you know, so that the outcome from the horse's viewpoint isn't the same. And so I agree with you, like the, the riders and the kids kind of seeing the light bulb come on to- That's a cool thing. That when actually worked. It. 
Yeah. You know, early on when I first started doing this, I'd, I'd want to go, just get off your horse and let me do it. Absolutely. And I don't <laughs> ever do that. You know, and I'm like, I finally had to, to wake up and go, you know what? It does, it does no good for that student if I do it for them. They've got to feel that. They've got to feel that change in the horse. And, and like you said, some horses are so sensitive. You know, and Groundwork's a prime example. When we get them started on the round pens, the kids struggle, and, and most of them, have, you know, they've lunched horses at horse shows before, but they have no, they, they struggle understanding that, that just your body positioning can be just the slightest bit of difference. And your horse is successful, or your horse turns around and runs in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think learning those 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 field timing and balance kinds of things are, are are really critical for those kids' long-term success. To close this out, Joel, we're about done, but out, out of time. But um, to close this out, here, here's a really uh, thought to think about: is I think about all the stuff we're talking about and the approach that we have to what we do, whether we're in academia or whether we're in the industry, doesn't matter. It's the same in the context that I want it to get better. Sure. We all want to get better. We all want to get personally better at what we do we all want to make more money it becomes wearing doesn't it like okay i've done i met this goal x amount of dollars or income off of my sales this year my horses look great i sold more my 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 sale per horse was higher uh where do you where's your what's your personal goal for the next five ten years in that approach you're going to continue to try to meet what's your the standards you've set or are you going to try to continue to raise the bar and if so how so That's a loaded question. So a, a couple of thoughts, I guess, come to mind is, is when I get to the point where, where I'm satisfied, then, then I'm going to retire. Uh, I think that the opportunity is always there to raise the bar. I also am not so foolish that I don't understand that the horse market is a, is a fickle, cyclical thing, just like everything else. And, and so certain disciplines are doing extraordinarily well right now. And, and that probably won't last. Um, you know, horse numbers go up. Uh, people's passions change or interests change or things just change just how life is and so we can still offer the best product to sell and 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 look for the best outcome and so that's our goal all along is is you know give the students the best opportunity to 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 train and be successful with their young horses but then also to market the best possible product and if i ever get to the point where again um i guess i'm satisfied then then for me it's time to go do something else I don't know what that. I don't know what else is, but I just, I, I, yeah, I want to keep try to try to keep making it better. Uh, there's always opportunities. Uh, that's that's the cool part about it. You know, that's why I enjoy what I do is is looking for those opportunities to help those students get better. Yeah, the, that's I I like that. The challenge of learning new things, making things better, and I get better. You know, every year I I'd like to I'd like to be I'd like to know what I. know. <laughs> We all say I'd like to be 16 again and know what I know now. There was sure. a song about that. You know, I'd like to be, I'd like to know what I know now and go back and do the last maybe 20 years with students because we do a better job with horses and I do a better job with students. And and for the job that you and I have, again, you brought it up earlier. The challenge is not just what I would do with a horse because you know my my timing is such that you know maybe I'll get something done a, a little quicker or a little differently. Um, but but reading that student and reading that horse, uh, that's the key. That's the hard problem. You've got to read what's going on in both of those 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 two entities, and you've got a split second to help them get better, or they've missed the window, and they have to be able to find that window. Well, it's horse training too. Yeah, yeah, as raising kids. Hundred percent. Whatever, whatever it is. There's, yeah, I like that. So I, I think it's a great conclusion. So our our listeners that are out there listening to figure out. A different mindset of how to approach the marketing of their horses. I think you gave them some great insight, and uh, I, I think 
time has a way making mistakes and over over time has a way of helping you figure out what the right answer is and so I've seen that growth in my own program made some a lot of mistakes uh, but I've 100%. always I've appreciated that I can use what you've done as a model for what we do because that's what we got to have too that's one thing I see a lot in the horse industry that I love is the willingness for people to help other people and to not retain their secrets right. but say hey this is what worked and this is what doesn't so that's kind of the goal of this podcast too is to put some of that on the table and say these are experiences from horsemen that have worked these are their flaws and things that haven't worked now take it and run so I appreciate your time and talking about that and I think you gave some good insight happy to be here thank you for joining us on Taking the Reins a special thank you goes to the Mississippi State Extension Service and the MSU Animal and Dairy Sciences Department. Please visit us on Facebook and Instagram at Taking the Reins Podcast.